This week we'll be discussing an inevitable part of being a pet parent. At some point, we have to say goodbye. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and this week is Pet Grief Awareness Week. Every day I'll be interviewing pet loss experts, grief counselors, and professionals who have dedicated their lives to helping people just like you before, during, and after the loss of an animal's soulmate. We'll be covering all of the topics that gives heartbroken humans the best support. Anticipatory grief, how to know when to say goodbye and what to expect, and how to manage grief, guilt, and forgiveness. We'll also be talking about ways you can help celebrate your animal's life and memorialize your pet. I hope you find today's interview helpful as you journey through your grief. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and joining me today is Nancy Gordon. She is a professional grief counselor for people who are struggling with the death or the upcoming death of their pets. This is what she does for her full-time job. We're so thankful that Nancy has taken time out of her busy schedule to help all of us learn more about what we can do to help manage the anxiety and the emotional feelings associated with us as guardians, knowing that our pets are going to die. And Nancy has made it her mission as a counselor, as a professional, helping people deal with the loss of their animals. Her specialty really is in helping people preemptively or right when they recognize that they're having these feelings, helping them minimize the pain and provide tools for addressing these feelings of anxiety. So Nancy, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having a passion towards this one little incredibly difficult, massive issue that each and every one of us struggle with. It's really comforting to know that there is a professional out there that that's their mission field. And that's you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to help educate, to share, um, and to dispel a lot of the fears and avoidant behavior that arises from that anxiety and depression. Yeah. All of that is, um, is so much of an obstacle to healing grief before as it's mm -hmm. happening and after. I have so many questions for you, but let's just start with, with a little bit about you. How did you, how did you decide first to become a licensed clinical social worker, but then how did you decide to specifically focus on animals and, and pet loss and, and humans dealing with the grief of an animal death? I, um, since the time I was little and as far back as I could remember, I was always the person someone came to uh, for advice. Hmm. Uh, so I grew up kind of, uh, my calling was very clear from hmm. very early on. And so I continued to follow that path my whole life. And uh, I want, um, I got my master's degree in social work and then a license for that. And I had a private practice for about 17 years. The last six of those were after a car accident. And that, that experience was so devastating. My life just turned upside down. And 
I got to a point where I couldn't work anymore. And so I had to, I learned the first practice of my seven practices. That is my methodology for helping people, at least the core of it, uh, was about surrendering. And I Mm -hmm. thought I left my practice and closed it that I was surrendering. But actually, I discovered in that whole journey that I really had just given up my practice. So a fast forward less than a year after I closed my practice, I discovered this rare breed dog called the Mexican hairless or the Sholos, Sholos Quintley, uh, dog breed that go back to the ancient Aztecs over 3,500 years. And they were used as spiritual, mystical healing dogs. They were highly respected. And what they were primarily used for was their body heat to relieve muscle and joint pain. So I had been living from this car accident and I got fibromyalgia and a mild traumatic brain injury. And my my go-to medication was this microwave neck wrap, 24-7 microwave neck wrap. So when I heard about this breed and and actually met one, Toaster's half-brother, my dog Toaster's half-brother. What a great name. <laughs> I'll tell you about how that happened. Uh, she, I, I had wrist pain. I put my hand under the belly of this dog and my pain was relieved, not gone. Of course, they don't cure you, but uh, it was it was relieved. And I thought, I'm going to get one of these toy sized dogs, put her around my neck and call her Toaster. And that's what I did. And did Toaster work better than the microwave neck wrap? Oh, my goodness. Well, a short vignette to, to answer that is I used to go into the movie theater with my boyfriend and he'd, he would be kind enough to go to the popcorn microwave and ask them to reheat the neck wrap. Well, with Toaster, of course, I never had to do that. So I trained her as a service dog and she went everywhere with Mm -hmm. me in the movies, sat around my neck, heated me, heated my neck pain. And uh, I mean, amazing. I do. Amazing. Like that is a partnership. That is a spiritual partnership that, yeah, it's, it's, it's magic is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a profound relationship. She changed my life in so many ways, including uh, how I work and Mm -hmm. including the whole pet loss journey, which I, you know, experienced and can talk more about with her when she was 17. Mm. And yeah, there, the, the, so to, to back up, I, I, had toaster with me for about three years. And then um, I wanted her to have a litter of puppies. Animal Planet found out about her puppies or her pregnancy. They were looking uh, for a dog who was pregnant. Well, they found out about me and got so much more um, of a rich story because toaster was a Mm. She was a rare breed. I had fibromyalgia, which back then wasn't even as well known as it is now. And um, they did a documentary, which you can find on my link tree. And so that 
documentary was went on for years and I could always tell where people were finding mm-hmm. the documentary because I would get emails saying, can you help me get a little toaster of my own, basically. And so I started a nonprofit and placed 18 dogs. Wow. Solos um, over the course of many years. Mm. And through that pregnancy and birthing of toaster, you'll, you'll see Pink, her daughter, her hairless daughter was born. And um, Pink was fine at first, and then she was diagnosed with a luxated patella and ended up at the age of one with an amputation. So Pink became my three-legged dog. And I wrote wrote a book, uh, Pink, the three-legged dog who lost her leg and found her courage. Mm -hmm. So then Pink began in, in her whole journey of disability, teaching me how to get off the couch and just do it anyway. That's yep. her messages. So with them, I developed, um, with and through them, I developed this methodology of seven practices to manage your mind and heal your heart. And that in a nutshell is what I do and what I did for myself about my chronic illness. And um, it brought me to answer your question, how to get into this part of pet loss, I use those same practices that helped me recover and find my resilience from my chronic illness and disability to navigating all the stages, starting with anticipatory grief, when I realized I had to, to face that with Toaster. Okay. And okay. And that makes sense. I think all of us, once when we get to the end of this interview, every listener and reader will have a sense of exactly what anticipatory grief is because we've all experienced it, but we may not have all identified it in our life. So it's there. And as you kind of unwrap what this is, and most importantly, what, what can we do about it? our listeners and readers, myself, will all be able to be like, aha, yes. And so Nancy, as a trained professional, undoubtedly you had heard about anticipatory grief in your training as well as in clinical practice. However, were you able to identify it when it, when it happened with you with toaster, were you able to identify it immediately or did, were you into it long enough and thought, oh my goodness, like was, did she teach you that as well? Um, no, Toaster, Toaster taught me many things about grief and the journey, but that wasn't one of them because as a psychotherapist for so many years, loss was inevitably part of everyone's story. That yep. they- so loss is inevitable. How you deal with it is really what makes the difference in your experience of loss. Mm-hmm. So, um, I I recognized my own anticipatory grief several years before I lifted toaster up. I call it lift up instead of put down. Mm-hmm. Several years because toaster and pink both had many different chronic illnesses and toaster had compressed discs, degenerative d- disc disease. And I 
I could see she was aging, she was having more problems, she got kidney disease, etc. And when those things started happening, it, it became real to me that that at some point, and maybe sooner than later, she was going to pass. And when I, I remember saying to my best friend, and this is, a, you know, maybe sounds like a weird thing, and I didn't mean it seriously, but it's a metaphor. The movie They Shoot Horses with Jane Fonda, a uh, long time ago, she has a line in there, you know, they shoot horses. She was so depressed. And I said to my best friend, I don't know how I'm going to live through this. I don't know how I am going to bear my life without Toaster. She had been with me you know, for so many huge defining moments in my journey of these last several decades. So I, at that time, I thought, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. I really didn't know how. When it got to be about a year before, and then the months, you know, through that whole year, I did my own work on that practice. Okay. Surrender is the first one. Okay. And, and so, yeah, I experienced it long before in a milder, milder impact. And then as it got closer, yeah. So do you find when you are counseling people, and I find this in the exam room, that my clients don't know that they're having anticipatory grief or anxiety. They, they can't see it. Can you, can you tell us what exactly is anticipatory grief and how do you know if it's going on? So anticipatory grief is the first experience you have of loss. So anticipatory means that it's before the loss happens. So this is an, an experience where you are anticipating that you're going to lose your pet, for example, and feelings come up around that. A process comes up around that because we don't want to lose our pets. And the less you know about grief and the less you have actually healed your past grief, the more frightening that realization of my pet is going to die, whether it's a, two years or one year or one month. And so what people experience is more the symptoms, the anxiety, the depression, the irritability, the, the lack of, you know, interest in things, the possibly even, you know, sort of clinging to their animal even more so. Um, worrying, worrying is huge. And then of course, the biggest, the biggest kicker is the guilt while you're in that process. And you, people don't know how to deal with the guilt. It, yeah. That's what I do. And I, what, what I see over and over, and I myself have been in counseling for many years to, to gain the tools I needed to, to move past this, my anxiety about my beloveds dying when they were healthy, Nancy, they were healthy and thriving, but I see so much sickness and so much degeneration. And I see so many accidents 
that I end up robbing my day-to-day joy of, of my time with my animal being present because I'm in the background having not a panic response, but I'm in the background having a stress response. I can't fully appreciate being present. I can now, but I couldn't for many years because of in the back of my brain, I'm like all of this beauty, this relationship, this magic is going to end in death. And I couldn't get over it. It was like a reel in my head. I couldn't get over. I I know I cannot be the only person that feels this way. No, not at all. I experienced that as I described a little, Yeah. Um, but you have just touched on one of the biggest benefits Mm -hmm. of navigating anticipatory grief, which is that you learn to hold emotionally, psychologically, both. They're dying and they're here, the yeah. both. And how do you stay present? Because if you can learn to stay present, that's where the healing already begins. Mm-hmm. And not only the healing of the grief, but your connection with your animal ends through a process where you don't lose that connection. Yes. Yes. So yes. So staying present, you stay connected and animals never disconnect. They're always present, always present. That's one of the biggest lessons they teach us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it, it is a very common I would say almost inevitable experience with anticipatory grief. And you can learn how to go through that and come out the other side. That's what I call transformative grief. That's what so what the blessing of anticipatory grief is about. You have the opportunity while your animal is alive to prevent guilt, to know that what and how you need to interact with and help and care for and be of service to your dog, to your cat, instead of them just being of service to us. Yes. And I think as a, as a proactive veterinarian, this resonates with me so much because we can proactively, we know it's going to hurt like hell. That's, that's no one's trying to minimize. It's going to hurt like hell. No one's trying to minimize that, but it's going to hurt like hell regardless. What if, what if the last part of the chapter of this beautiful, blessed life and relationship I have clients that say, I don't even remember it. They don't remember. They're unable to absorb the beauty because of the fear and anxiety. And as a wellness proactive human and doctor, this, what you are suggesting, what you have created and what you are implementing as a professionally trained grief counselor for people dealing with these feelings is so critically important because you're allowing them to work through the stress and begin to carve out space to extract the richness and to not have regret. I think the not having regret about the time and where our brain was and where our focus was is one of the richest blessings we could ever give anyone 
struggling with this. And yet it doesn't come intuitively to us as humans. Most of us can't sit down and think about, you know what? I can tell that the monkeys are really going crazy in my brain. I'm going to try and do some things to quiet the monkeys. We don't have those tools on our own. So can you help us help us understand kind of the nuts and bolts, the premise of working this system, this proactive system of intentionally working on our pain, our thoughts, our painful thoughts to be able to balance all that's going to happen in this chapter where our animals will eventually die, but we don't miss the moment and we don't miss the beauty because we are preemptively coping with the stress. How, how do we do that? On a, from a 10,000 foot view, it's not intuitive to do that. No, grief, it, it, grief um, is, is not something that we learn how to get through. We learn how to avoid it. We learn to pick up your bootstraps. We learn to stop cry, stop crying. We get all these messages to stuff it. And unhealed grief puts a lock on your heart. And that's an important piece for people to remember that the unlocking, the key to unlocking that guilt and that grief is facing it. Now, facing it is often very, very hard for people. Yes. yes. You alone. Grief is meant to be shared. Grief is meant to be expressed in positive ways, in healing ways, not in stuffing it. Mm-hmm. So do you, so first of all, do you do, are you, do you do zoom? Are you doing teleconsults? How, if people say, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. I need help. How are, how, how do people go about getting help? Uh, I have a, a link tree that has a list of all the ways people can connect with me and get help in different ways through books, through writing through telehealth sessions with me, consultations with me, ongoing work, groups, courses, all of that. Okay, so, awesome. Variety so that people, you know, anybody can find something, some way to get help. Okay, that's that, that's awesome. So, so you have this online resource available with all of these different options. If you were to tell our listeners and readers some of the, your top take-home thoughts or messages when it comes to this universal feeling of some anxiety, when we think about the things that we love most transitioning, those are hard thoughts. How have you been able to rewire your brain and now you're teaching or thought process, you're teaching others how to do that. What are some of your top tips on maybe even of avoiding getting into that cycle. But once we're there, what are some things that would offer some relief for people just being introduced to this idea? Well, one of the problems with pet loss and grief is that a lot of people don't understand it. It's devalued. It's misunderstood. And so it's important to find people who understand who friends who maybe have experienced their own pet loss and understand what you are feeling. So getting support from your, you know, support system, whatever that is, family, friends, um, 
that's a very important key first step so that you start expressing, as I said, you know, processing and expressing it and sharing the grief is a huge part of the healing. So you find people and places that support that process for you, where you feel comfortable and you feel trust and you feel understood. So that's, that's one of the first steps. Um, and the second step is once you start feeling and expressing, you um, have to embrace self-love, self-compassion, and begin to see that your feelings are natural. They're, grief is a natural process in relationship to loss, as long as the loss has a meaning. So if the role of your pet, for example, with service dogs was to depend on them really for daily functioning, that is going to bring up a lot of loss and grief from that role. Yes. So the more that you understand that grief is normal, there's nothing wrong with you, you're not crazy, uh, and that you have avenues to express that grief, those are two very important first steps, kind of hand in hand. And um, there's there's one, one thing, um, one quote that I love um, and I share with clients it, and they find relief, especially for those people who feel that loss is unbearable, it goes like this. If there was ever a tomorrow when we're not together, there is something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think, and loved more than you'll ever know. Hmm. And that's by Winnie the Pooh. Hmm. So I think having, um, you know, an understanding that the journey of pet loss and doing this transformational grief, um, it, within that journey lies hope and healing, hope and growth. And through our resilience as human beings, um, we, we can find that our hope and our hearts um, can be a gift of the unconditional love that we experience with our pets. And in growing through grief ourselves, we honor our pets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can also be more available to them emotionally, mentally, and sometimes even physically. If we, the reason I would encourage anyone who's listening or reading to to contemplate addressing anxiety, preemptive anxiety. If you are, if you have repeated thoughts, when you look at your dog or cat or horse or hamster, if first you say, oh my gosh, I love you so much. And oh my gosh, you're going to die soon. If you are going through this process of feeling all of the good feelings that are instantly minimized or marginalized because of fear, or anxiety associated with losing that animal, this is something I would encourage you as a proactive veterinarian to address the minute you can, the minute you can identify that you're doing this, address it because by you addressing it, you will have a fuller, 
richer, more meaningful relationship because you're not being distracted by an emotion that isn't serving you at that time space reality. I agree totally with that. Um, And I guess if there's anything I would really want listeners to understand is that, that what it's unhealed grief and unhealed guilt in this whole process of loss that imprisons us. It's not the loss itself. You can learn and get support for going through this loss and not only come out accepting it, but growing from it. These are the anticipatory grief and the transformative grief are two what I consider stages that have been missed but in the grief uh, counseling world. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the founder of the five stages of grief. And she doesn't talk about the first, she doesn't talk about anticipatory grief, really, not in those stages, she might in her books in general, but people stick to those five stages. Well, there is anticipatory grief, that is a stage. And the last grief, or the last stage of grief is not just acceptance, in my opinion, it's transforming it. It's getting beyond it. It's finding meaning. It's opening your heart to another pet mm-hmm. when most people feel it's so unbearable and this was so unbearable to lose the dog, for example, they're not going to ever get another one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, unhealed grief puts a lock on your heart, but there is a, there is a key to unlock it. Yeah. I'm so thankful, Nancy, that there are qualified trained professionals that have made it their mission like yourself to help people through this incredibly painful stage. I'm so thankful. So my, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to really have an awareness week is to begin a conversation, letting pet lovers know that if they are experiencing some of these feelings, and if they feel that they are never going to feel better, that grief is this ongoing open wound that they will die with and it will not improve. That is not, that does not have to be the case. No, it really doesn't. There is um, really such um, hope and love that comes out of that locked heart when you deal with the grief. And yeah, it's, um, it's seems hard to face. I mean, it was hard for me to face and I'm, you know, I've been for decades dealing with other people's pain. It is hard. I recognize that it's painful. Yes. It's heartbreaking. I call it gut wrenching that those were heartbreaking and gut wrenching were the two phrases. I, I think I, for years before and after were the words that I used to express how devastating that loss Mm-hmm. And I lost pink within nine months of toaster. I had to oh. lift her up as well. And I have a lot of clients who have had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's an overwhelming kind of grief. At the same time, it's uh, it's something that as you face it, 
it becomes less overwhelming. Right. And you're able, I think, to make better decisions because your brain is not in that overdrive, highly stressed, almost shock-like sometimes, oftentimes, especially if you just if you just have received a diagnosis that your pet is terminal or something terrible is going on, it can be, you can get stuck in that state and it actually compromises, not just your ability to remember, but your ability to make the decisions that are best at that time. And there again, you can have more regrets, So a little bit about when you probably have done quite a bit of counseling with people who say my dog or cat or animal is terminal and I need to be thinking about euthanasia. This is a way that people can begin talking about euthanasia or helping assisting their animal without necessarily trying to block it out or say, I'll address it when it happens, or I'm going to leave that to my veterinarian. Why, why do you see as kind of a proactive therapist, why do you think it's important to have a discussion or at least if people are having anxiety about an upcoming euthanasia, can we talk a little bit about how to go about preparing for that emotionally and why it's so important? Yes. So you've tapped into a really, really important part of how veterinarians can help this anticipatory grief process. So one of the first things that um, I would suggest to clients who come with me before the loss, uh, but they're looking at, you know, my dog isn't getting better or I got this diagnosis, is to talk to the veterinarian and get educated, ask questions. Sometimes I give them questions to ask. So one of the best questions is, I don't know what I don't know. Please tell me, you know, if you were in my shoes, what would you be seeing? What would you be thinking? What, you know, all of that kind of, because we only make the best decisions based on the information that we have. And then you add that lack of information, let's say, with the anxiety that you're talking about comes with, oh, and then the responsibility that we have with pets or that we're allowed to have with pets through euthanasia that we don't have with humans. So there's no practice in our, in our world uh, with other losses, with human losses that that are like what we are faced with, that decision to make. I know when I was in that um, realization that Toaster might need help, and I realized that because she had seizures, which turned into undiagnosed fainting spells, and she was used to going everywhere with me, but she could no longer. I started thinking how I would feel if she passed when I wasn't home. And Pink is there, helpless, traumatized. It was part of my decision-making process with my vet to understand really what is the next few months looking like for Toaster. And planning for that. 
So I did a whole, a whole um, ritual with that. Uh, two weeks, for example, this, this is the benefit. This is a good example of dealing with anticipatory grief and being present. It, Pete was, uh, you know, Toaster's daughter was an attention hog. Toaster was a wise, more introverted dog. Pink literally would get herself in front of, between Toaster and me. So the two, three weeks, I made a decision. I'm going to do this in three weeks with my mobile vet. And I orchestrated how those three weeks were going to be spent. And so I took Pink and Toaster together places, but I also made a point of taking Toaster alone. So she would be driving on, uh, on my neck in the car while I'm doing errands. She, uh, we went to a movie, um, those sorts of things. So that her last three weeks, I was really there. And if I cried, it didn't matter to her. You know, she comforted me. Mm-hmm. They know. Mm-hmm. They know. So it's it's just another way of that reciprocal, unconditional love and service that makes that whole experience bearable. Yes. Uh, and n- without guilt. So that's one of the biggest pieces is this guilt when people can't think straight mm-hmm. or they don't have the information or they make rash decisions. Yep. Um, they, they, they have, they can't Yes. make what's in the best interest of the animal or for them. And I have so many more clients who call me the day before they're going to lift up their pet or the day after, or three days after when it's over and done. And I can't help them with that process. You know, that window's gone. Um, but if they're, it, the, the ones that call me before, for example, we, we had this whole discussion about those last hours, days, minutes, whatever. How can you be present and still feel this intolerable grief? You know, that particular person felt badly about having so much sadness when their dog is the one that... Right. Oh, right. I said, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the way to look at it. You know, it's both yes. you're sad and, and you love your do- dog and you want to be present and they're not, um, you can hold both. Really Nancy, what you are helping pet lovers do is to multitask the balancing of many difficult emotions without letting one take over the other. So that out of balancing, not choosing one emotion, but being able to balance grief with incredible life experiences that are happening right now, we won't have regret about missing those, those, those moment to moment experiences that are providing rich interaction with the animal that's still physically here and dying, but you're allowing people to learn the skills they need to be able to balance many emotions 
simultaneously. And it's a really important skill that most of us, not, I was not born with intuitively, but through being able to learn this, I have been able to dramatically reduce my own anticipatory anxiety because I've learned some of these tools to help me when I feel like the, my anxiety or anticipatory grief is going to take over. It's out of knowing these things. Like you said, you only know what you know, but, but it's a godsend to know more because it allows you to make better decisions. And most importantly, create memories and experiences while you are in pain. Yes. And, and the gift of anticipatory grief is that it's, it is your last opportunity to do whatever or say whatever or heal whatever wounds between you and your human, between you and your animal, that after the loss occurs, you will not regret. Yes. It's the, it, that's the biggest gift. And that's mm -hmm. you know, what I experienced really earlier with my both my parents dying. Um, my mom was had a two-year cancer journey, and I had anticipatory grief for two years. And by the end, um, you know, she was in a coma, and we were just in the hospice room waiting with terrible angst for her to go. And one of the things that I thought about then is, you know, this is this is a really gut-wrenching moment, but I know that the last two years of my mom's life that I spent with her, I brought her great joy and I have no regrets. I have no guilt. And that is huge. So human, you know, grief is grief. Yep. There are differences with pet loss grief. And part of that comes from the ability of, you know, that we have euthanasia, which creates this experience uh, again that people probably don't understand either called cognitive dissonance so cognitive dissonance is when you have two competing emotions and thoughts or decisions to make like you're in a hospice situation and you want um you don't want to experience that loss with your pet and yet at the same time the care that is that you are having to do to keep your animal alive. And sometimes people go, myself included, go way beyond what, uh, what an, you know, an average person would do financially, physically uh, for their pet to mm -hmm. remain alive. I mean, with Pink became 24 seven hospice patient. Yeah. And I did get to that point where I had that cognitive dissonance, like, I can't do this anymore. And yet I don't want to lose her. Yes. And having, you know, the skills to navigate that myself was, you know, very, it got me through that to the decision-making point. Um, but for people who don't have those skills, it's like a nightmare. Yes. It's a living nightmare and causes just great stress, anxiety, insomnia, indecision, confusion, all of those things. And um, 
those things that occur as part of the anticipatory grief and loss, those emotions are natural. It's not that there's something wrong with you if you feel anxious. Of course, of course. On to the anxiety and how you let the anxiety, for example, impact your daily function, impact your relationships, impact how you interact with your dog or cat. And that's, that's where the healing is. And that's where getting help is what helps. <laughs> that is exactly right. And I'm so, that's a perfect place to conclude because getting help, the minute that you recognize that you need it, the sooner you can address what you're feeling, the sooner you're going to feel different. You're going to shift. You're going to have tools to be able to navigate these incredibly difficult and stressful times. You will be better equipped with the tools you need to be able to get through this the best you can. And oftentimes, because we are not born with these innate tools, reaching out to a qualified professional who can help you where you're at is one of the best decisions we could ever make for ourselves. It really is a love gift to ourselves. And for those of you that think, I don't need that, I'm going to get through this fine, as long as you can stay present and in the moment. Fantastic. If you find yourself, your brain, your thoughts being overtaken with anxiety and fear and a whole host of negative emotions that, that prevent you from making good decisions or being in the moment, I would, I would encourage you to consider to get help. Yeah. Nancy, this has been a beautiful interview. We appreciate your commitment to animal lovers worldwide who are ready to get help because they want to be the best guardian for their animals. And you're equipping them with those necessary skills to be able to do just that. And we're very thankful for everything you do. Yes. Thank you for sharing this in this awareness week. It's so important, especially in the pandemic, because we have global grief. We've had global grief since 2020. And I see the gift in that is that globally, we're all having to learn how to navigate this painful experience and lift each other up mm-hmm. through that process. Well, thank you. Th- thank you for everything that you do. Leader, readers and listeners, uh, please. Uh, either click the link above or below, or if you're reading, uh, obviously there will be a link provided for you to learn more about the resources that Nancy has available, as well as uh, learning more about how to equip yourself with the skills you need to get through this difficult process. Nancy, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching this interview. I hope you came away with some important takeaways that will be helpful to you on your journey. This is a difficult topic to talk about for sure, but expanding your knowledge and educating yourself about the grief process will help you through it. We're so thankful you're taking the time to care for yourself in this way.